Good morning. Glad to uh, see everybody today. It's been a good day. I'm excited for, uh, for what's in store in, uh, in just a few minutes. I think you'll be blessed by it. Uh, we are in the sixth, the sixth uh, part in our series that uh, we're going to be wrapping up before too long. We'll, uh, we've got a couple more weeks in it, and then we're going to move on to something else uh, where we are simply looking at the teachings of Jesus, and I'll give you some more information about that as the, the time gets, gets closer to it. But we're talking about bad resumes, and this is what we've been talking about for uh, more than a month now. We've looked at the different people throughout the Scriptures who, who we think of as, as great Bible characters and great Bible heroes, and they did some great things uh, on behalf of God, on behalf of Jesus, and, and, and for the Hebrew people, and in the, the life of the church, but they didn't all start out as great heroes. A lot of them had other things going on in their lives. They had a backstory that was full of scandal, full of failure, full of sin, full of sorrow, and... The point we're trying to make as we look at this series is it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've blown it, how bad you've messed your life up and think nobody can stand you and you're just a rotten scoundrel of a person. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do that can separate yourself from the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, I will say this, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I contend that the messier your life is, the more Jesus is attracted to you. So don't feel like I've got to get my life together before I can give it to Jesus, because if you're waiting on that, you'll never get it together. Because we don't have it in ourselves to get our lives together. It's only Jesus that does that. He picks us up, He cleans us up, and He makes us whole again. He gives us new life, and He restores us. And that's what we're talking about today, and we're going to hear a, uh, we're going to hear a great redemption story. We're going to hear a couple of them, actually. Um, but in just a few minutes, uh, uh, David Borden's going to join me on the stage, and we're going to hear his redemption story and testimony, and I think that, uh, that you'll be very, very blessed by it. But today, we're talking about the life of Paul, and we're going to look at some selections in Acts. We'll uh, jump to Philippians 3, and then we'll hit 1 Timothy uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll bring David up on the stage. So we're, we're talking about Paul today. And Paul is, he is one of my ministry heroes. Not because he founded all of these great churches. Uh, not because he, you know, he traveled all over the place and he expanded the borders of the kingdom. Now those are good things and I love those things. But I love Paul because... He was a bad, bad guy who Jesus cleaned up and used for His glory. And he was honest about his past. He was honest about his sin. Even after Jesus got a hold of him, he struggled. And he would write that there were things that I want to do, and there's things that I don't want to do, and I shouldn't do. And the stuff that I want to do, I don't end up doing that stuff. I end up doing the bad stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had days like that? Where you know there's good stuff you ought to be doing? And you know there's bad stuff you shouldn't be doing? And instead of doing the good stuff, you do the dumb stuff? 
You know what I'm talking about? I've been there. Okay? Now, every single person has done that. And if you don't think you have, you're lying. Because <laughs> we've all done that. You're, or, or either you're delusional, and we'll help you figure that out. It's one of those two. Because we've all done it. We've all made poor choices. If we didn't make poor choices, there'd be no need for Jesus, right? There'd be no need, but we have a need for him. And that's what I love about Paul is he was honest about him. And when you read his writings, sometimes it's, it's brutal in the things that he says. How he talks about his life and how he kind of goes on the attack against those who were making it hard for people to come into Jesus. There's even one place in Scripture where he's talking about a group of people and they're just they're trying to make it difficult for pe- people to get to Jesus. Now, the, the gospel is barrier enough in itself. We don't need to make it any harder for people to come to Jesus, okay? Committing your life to following Jesus, that's, that's a tough enough barrier in itself. We don't need to add anything to it. And Paul was so mad one time that he wrote and he was talking about these guys who were making it difficult. And you know what he said? He said, I wish, and, now, and, and this is in Scripture, you look this up, I wish, I wish their knife would slip. He's talking about circumcision. He said, I wish their knife would slip and they would castrate themselves. That's how raw Paul would be against people who made it difficult for those to come into Jesus Christ. And we don't want to do that. We want to make it possible. We want to make it easy. Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy. My, my, my burden is light. And what I love about Paul is that he did whatever he had to do to bring people into a relationship with with Jesus. He said, I have become all things to all men so that some might be saved. And I love that. Paul wasn't just this great apostle, this great hero of faith. He didn't start out that way. Where he came from was a rough place, and it wasn't as if, he lived this, this, this horrible life, you know, gambling, drinking, smoking, all these, you know, the sins we think about, things like that. He thought he was doing right, but he was actually doing terribly wrong, and he ended up, he ended up hurting the church. In Acts chapter 7, we first meet Paul. The church is fairly new, it's, it's gotten going well, but it's done so well that the religious leaders of the day who did not believe Jesus was God's son began to take notice and to make things difficult for the church, for the people of the church. And there was one guy by the name of Stephen, and he was a a great man of faith. He was a leader in that early church, and he ended up giving his defense on behalf of what he was doing and who he was, he appealed to them and their, their nature. He appealed to their, their historical background. He appealed to his, his knowledge of the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the law that they followed. And at the end, his message turned a little sharp and they ended up killing him for it. They ended up taking his life and he became the first martyr in the Christian era. And in chapter 7, verse 
58, we read that the mob was gathering and they surrounded Stephen. And it says they threw him out of the city, that's Stephen, and they began to stone him. And right here at the end of verse 58, it says, and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named, say it with me, Saul. The feet of a young man named Saul. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. Verse 8 opens up and it's talking about Paul, but he's not Paul at this point. He's still going by his very Hebrew name, Saul. He's not going by the more Greek Paul yet. And it says that Saul agreed with putting him to death. Why did he agree with that? Because Stephen was a member of this, this, this startup group, this startup band that sort of seemed like rebel rousers. They'd followed this, this crucified Jew named Jesus. And they were causing all kinds of trouble, just as Jesus called all kinds of, caused all kinds of trouble. And so they killed Stephen, and he was in agreement with that. Stomped their leaders out, cut the head off. And so he's okay with it. He's all right with it. It says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the, the land of Judea and Samaria. But devout men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. Then right here again, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. And he would enter house after house, and he would drag off men and women, and he would put them in prison. So let's pull up Saul's resume. We look at his executive profile. What was his job? He was a Pharisee. There are two or three different times in Scripture that Paul refers to himself as a Pharisee. He says, this is what I was. I was a, a Pharisee. This is one of the, the religious leaders. There were the, uh, you had the, the Pharisees who were the more conservative group. They were very much, very much law, 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 very rigid, very rules-keeping. And then you had the more liberal Sadducees. And, you know, we've talked about the Sadducees before, and, and what's their problem? They don't believe in the resurrection, and say it with me, that's just so sad, you see, that they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, that's how you remember what they believe. Okay, now, the Sadducees had all the power because they had sort of bought their way into it, and they owned the, the high priesthood. It was no longer in the Levites and all of that stuff. So they had the power. And then you got the other group over here, the Pharisees, and, and most of the time they didn't like each other, but when it came to Jesus stuff, they, were managed, to, they managed to put their differences aside and, and basically kill anybody who got in the way. And so they're the ones who took out Stephen. Paul is a member of the, the Pharisees. But not only that, really a, a better title for what he was was a religious hitman. When you think about it, knowing what he did, knowing that that he went into houses and he drug out people who named the name Jesus and he had them carted off to jail or had them executed on the spot. He is a, he's a religious terrorist. This is what he did. This is what Saul did. What's his professional experience? Well, he persecuted the church. And he's very, he's very open. He's very honest about that. Look in the... Uh, Chapter 9. 
Persecution has happened. It's uh, caused the Jews there to be spread out all over the place. That's what's going on in chapter 8. Then you get to, to chapter 9. And it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he requested letters from the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, now that's talking about the church, either men or women, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled, he was nearing Damascus. A light from heaven suddenly flashed all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul asked the question, who are you Lord. And the end of verse 5 says, I am Jesus. The one whom you are crucifying, who you are persecuting. Get up, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, his though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand, they led him into Damascus, and he was unable to see. For three days, he did not eat or drink. He had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus going to do his job, going to arrest Christians when, when Jesus intervenes. says, hey, Saul, it's not just these people that you're torturing and killing and persecuting. You're, you're persecuting me. And it's in that moment that Saul becomes a believer in Jesus Christ for the first time. He says, get up, go to this guy's house, you'll be... You'll be told what to do. And it says for three days he sat there in the darkness, not eating, not drinking, just sitting there. You know what he was doing? He's fasting. He's praying. He's repenting. Because he's just found out his whole life in some ways has been a waste. He thought he was helping God and it just turns out that God says, no, you're not helping me you're killing me you're killing you're killing my church in Acts 22 Paul gives us his own story he's working through these different trials he's before a Jerusalem mob and he tells us he tells us his own story in 22 starting in uh, verse 4 he says I persecuted this way to death binding and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council, council of elders can testify about me. Having received letters from them to the brothers, I was traveling to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. And it's from there he goes on and he recounts the, the interaction that he, that he has with, with Jesus. And so we... We go to his reasons for why he left his last job, and they're very plain and very simple. He had Christians executed for their faith. Now then, if, if somebody like that came to your job, wanted a job, wanted a position with you, would you hire them? Absolutely. That person is rejected. We don't want that person. I don't want to work with somebody who wants to kill me. Do you? Not a fan of that. I kind of like living right now. I mean, I want to go to heaven. You know, I want to be there with my family and all that, but I, I don't want to be killed. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty good. Let, just, you know, let things kind of happen naturally. I don't, I don't want to be forced out of here, if you know what I'm saying. So we don't want somebody like that in our life. And you, 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 you can imagine 
what Paul's thinking. You know, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? My job's been killing people. Now I'm working for the guy whose people I was trying to kill. That would be a difficult life to enter, don't you think? Because he's just switched teams, okay? Nobody wanted to be near this guy. He was a leper. Nobody would, would trust him, and you can, you can understand that. But others intervene for him. They talk about what has been done in his life, and he goes on, he becomes this great man of faith, this great apostle. He plants all these churches. He suffers. He's beaten, stoned. He's hits put out on his life for, for the sake of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And he's writing in the book of Philippians. And in chapter 3, he's just given his old resume to us. But in verse 7, he starts giving us the new page of his resume, the one that was added by Jesus he says, but everything that was gained to me, and he's talking about all his Pharisaic stuff. He's talking about his background and his, uh, his ethnicity as a Jew and that he's from the tribe of Benjamin and, 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 and he was a, a, a Pharisee and all of these things. He says, all of that was a gain to me, but I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And then in 1 Timothy, he's writing to, to this, this young guy, Timothy, kind of his protege, and he tells him some more things. He says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful appointing me to the ministry one who was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor an arrogant man since it was out of ignorance that I had acted in unbelief I received mercy and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus this is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst one of them. He viewed his life next to Christ and what Jesus did for him. Jesus died for him, gave him a new start on life, and he's looking back and he's saying, look, Christ came into the world to save all of us. All of us that choose the dumb stuff over the good stuff. He's saying that I'm the worst one one here there's nobody worse than me I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ I had them put to death but he goes on in verse 16 he says but I received mercy so that in me the worst of them Christ Jesus might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal 
life. Isn't that good news? That's talking about us. Christ Jesus is patient with us, even in the midst of all of our sins, even in the midst of our, our, our failures and our shame, even in the midst of everything that is on our, our spiritual bad resume. We receive the same mercy that Paul did. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul received grace. And that grace is available to you and I. No matter what we've done. And that's pretty awesome. I want to uh, bring up my, my friend, my brother, David Borden. If you'd make him welcome, I'd appreciate that. And uh, for the next few minutes, we're just gonna we're gonna talk. We've had a uh, we've had a couple of conversations about uh, today and what uh, what this would be like. And uh, some of you are probably familiar with uh, with David's story, but there's probably several of you here that uh, that are not. Uh, you may have heard bits and pieces, but uh, but not all of it. And uh, it's a it's a great story. Uh, it's a powerful story, uh, uh, and and David, he has a he has a connection with Paul, as well, and uh, he's going to share some of that with us. And so, uh, we we talked for I don't know about an hour last night, and uh, uh, he's just going he's going to share some of these things with us. So, uh, David, one point a few years back. Um, you hit kind of a rough spot in your life. Uh, won't you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, uh, th- those of you who don't uh, know all my story, uh, I was married some years back, so my perfect marriage that I have now is my second. But um, after I got divorced, um, I uh, I made up for what I felt was lost time and partying and drinking and drugs and uh, everything that comes with it. So um, <clears throat> from basically pretty much from the time I got divorced and I was out of the house, um, if I wasn't working, I was partying. I mean, everything I could get my hands on for the most part. Um, it was, I stayed in that lifestyle for almost two and a half years and um, uh, I wound up bouncing at a bar where in my off time because I worked there I got to drink for free well there's nothing better that someone like me at that time could ask for was than free booze and free booze was the gateway to everything else and it was like I said I mean you, you think of two years of spending your life in a bottle and it wasn't depression by any means i was just i wanted to party i wanted to have fun i felt like i'd never got that before um but really when i look back at it it was a huge waste of my life you know it was um i was out there 
and I should have been in here. What um, what was the turning point for you? Jeffrey Owens over there. Uh, he 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 helped turn me around hugely. Um, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I got a little size on me, and uh, <laughs> uh, I like to pump the Irene. So uh, that's where I met. That's where I met Jeffrey. Was in the gym, and and um, so uh, you know Jeffrey's not really a friendly kind of fella. He doesn't really want to talk to anybody, or so. He also doesn't like to pick up heavy stuff. No, at all. But um, uh, God put Jeffrey in my life, and um, every now and then, you know, he'd uh, he'd always ask me. He said, "Well, he said you you have your life together mentally and physically. What are you doing spiritually about your life?" And and a lot of times, I I told him straight up, "Thanks, but no thanks. I wasn't ready for it yet." Um, my life motto at that time was better to be an open sinner than a hypocrite and so it's i wanted nothing to do with it but i was i was sitting in that same bar that i used to bounce in one day and uh with a drink in my hand and i was it's like god was talking to me he said it's and i was asking myself what am i doing with my life i'm not doing anything i'm wasting it um drinking and partying and i just i wasn't getting anywhere and uh in the back of my mind was Jeffrey's, inv- Jeffrey's invitation that had always been there, had always been extended to me. And uh, so started coming to church, and around that same time, uh, Lauren and I started talking, which wasn't on Jeffrey's hit list or <laughs> fan list. <coughs> uh, I bet you got on his hit list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I had a big red target on my head. <laughs> I just didn't know it. I, I knew it. I didn't know it. <laughs> but um, it's Jeffrey's invitation, like I said, was always in the back of my mind. Um, and I was still trying to find a way to get out of that life at that time. And when, when I met Lauren, she was what pulled, what she was the drive. She was the fire that got lit under my rear end to get me out of that life and to want better for myself and so and just like it says in Jeremiah 29:11 he says for the, I know the plans that I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future and that hope and that future started with her right there and uh, that year was uh was that 2008 yeah yeah 2008 I got I got baptized in August, and uh, life's been great ever since. You know, it's I mean we always we struggle as Christians. We all know that it's I mean matter of fact the walk gets harder after you get baptized, um, but it's still uh, it's been an awesome blessing knowing that that I'm going up there, and I'll see all of you there too. It's interesting how you uh, you kind of describe the the process and the it, it it just sort of seems like there was a an, an influence there that was coming in, not an overriding, not an overbearing thing. Kind of tell us a little bit about how Jeffrey did. I mean, was he was he flexing not just his physical muscles but his spiritual muscles in a 
like a you know threatening way. A lot of times we want to we want to come at people. We want to preach at them and preach at them and show them how wrong and, and sinful they are. Um, or did he come at it from more of a relational approach? He came at it from more of a relational approach. Um, and then you know when you live in that kind of lifestyle too, you know some jokes are funny to those people and they weren't funny to Jeffrey. So uh, he was a living example of the word. You know, and um, is when when I would see Jeffrey, or whenever whenever I would hear people talk about him, the first thing that came then and still comes now is a man of God to me. That is, um, he was the greatest example God had in my life mm. at that time. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, my mentor told me, uh, oh, it's been close to 20 years ago when I began my career, uh, he said, you know, you need somebody in your life. You need two people in your life at all times. He said, you need, you need a Paul and you need a Timothy. And it, it seems like, and especially as we're, we're talking about Paul today and are fixing to in just a minute, but it seems like that's the role that Jeffrey played in your life. He was that, that spiritual father in a way that lovingly, easily, patiently just led you to Jesus, not forced you to him, but kind of led you that way. And that's, that's important for us to have is that we need to have, uh, or it's vital that we have somebody with us uh, that's gone before us, that's done it, that uh, can, can pick us up, can encourage us, uh, when we when we mess up, somebody that is no matter what we do, they're going to be they're going to be rooting for us, and that's a uh, that's a that's a powerful thing to have. And so, uh, speaking of of Paul, um, tell us about or describe your your spiritual connection uh, that you have to Paul and him being the worst sinner, but yet still used by Jesus. Yeah, um, Paul is my go-to guy when, like I said a while ago. Even after we're baptized, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, but life's not easy. You know, it's the devil will, you'll think the devil will use what strengths you have, and you can battle him from that front, but the devil will intertwine himself into parts of your life that you never see him coming from. And um, there's times where it's, you know, I feel like I've messed up, or uh, with me being a sailor, I work with sailors, and sometimes I act like a sailor. And there's times where I feel like, well, I've messed up now. What's the point of staying on the path? And and, and it's that's when I think about Paul. I go right to him. I think of everything that Paul did before he got intercepted on the Damascus Road. And I'm like, if Jesus can use him and save him, and Jesus' blood washed away his sins, I'm fine. So I stay on the path. Uh, so it's, yeah, like I said, whenever I get down, I feel like I've let Jesus, I've let God down. I go to Paul. And, you know, what you just described, that's, the, that's been the basis of this message series, is that um, a lot of times our, our past gets in the way or our past becomes this insurmountable barrier that keeps us from... Um, being used by God or doing something in the church or serving in some way uh, or even keeps us from coming to Jesus because we think, you know, why would Jesus love uh, 
someone like me. And so um, I, I think that's tremendously important for us to, to anchor down to somebody like Paul because it gives us uh, something to look back on and to, you know, at, at our worst moments when we feel like we're completely worthless, we can look back and we can see that here was somebody that even after he became a follower of Jesus, he still struggled. Uh, but yet he still relied on Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus still used him. And, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to get across through this, through this series, this bad resume, that we've all got bad resumes. That's, that's, you know, there's no doubt about that. But it doesn't have to be that bad resume that keeps us from moving forward because Jesus is not afraid of it. And he'll take that bad stuff and he'll use it for, <coughs> for his glory. So what would, um, what, is, what would you say, what does Jesus mean to you? Jesus means everything to me. Um, it's, without him, we have nothing. Without being washed away in his blood, we have nothing. There's, without his blood, there's, there's no hope for the future. Uh, it's you know looking back on how I used to live my life um, you know I just another model that I had was well if I die today it's we'll see what happens you know and then when it really hit me I'm like you know what I don't think I'm as good as guys I think I am and uh like it says, no matter what you do, you can't earn your way to heaven. There's nothing you can do. There's no works. There's no deeds. There's nothing you can do to get into heaven. You have to be washed by the blood of Jesus. And that being, like I said, he's everything to me. Yeah. And uh, as we wrap this up, what would you say to someone who feels uh, trapped by their past and, won't, and feels like giving up? I would share my past with them and let them know that, you know, a lot of times I've been in the same situation that, you know, that person might be in. Or I can relate somehow, some way to what that person has gone through or is going through. Um, and I use, my, I use the experience that I've had in my Christian mm -hmm. walk because um, it's – we're never going to get it right, not ever. Uh, no matter, like I said, no matter how hard we try, we're never going to get it right, and that's that's why I'm so grateful that my sins, our sins, have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Um, and then I would I would tell them about Paul. I'm like, look, I'll show you this example right here. It's this. It happens, you know, uh, and that's. That's that's how I try to help anyone who doesn't know if they're good enough. Great. That's great. Well, thanks for uh, answering my questions, and thanks for, uh, for sharing uh, a little bit of your story with us. Uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting when you, when you do something like this because it's, uh, you're becoming vulnerable with people. And... Uh, what you're doing is when you open yourself up, what you're saying is, look, here's my story, handle it with care. And it's, there's always the potential that someone is going to use it against you. Mm 
but then that's where you anchor, you're anchored to Paul and anchored to Jesus, and so you can go back there. But what I've seen and what I would just about guarantee will be the result of today is that somebody in the audience or somebody that listens to this on the podcast later this week is going to say, you know what, I, maybe I can have hope too. Maybe I can have that relationship with Jesus that, that he talked about. and uh, They'll be able to relate to you because they've been there before and they heard you talk about this is what I used to do and I've spent these years of my life basically being you know, running away from God, but yet Jesus can still, uh, can still use me. And so uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for, uh, for uh, sharing your testimony. Let's pray for David. God, thanks for uh, the day that you've given us, and thank you for uh, uh, your servant and our brother David and his willingness to, uh, to share his testimony, to share his faith with us, and to, to use his story. And Father, I pray that uh, that you use it beyond just today. Father, I pray that uh, as we go out of here, that the people that have heard it in our audience, that they'll talk about it with someone else, and they'll be encouraged to share their faith, and they'll be encouraged to, to talk about uh, how you've used them and rescued them from their past and from their, their bad resume. I pray for those that might hear it on the podcast, uh, that it would connect them in a deep way. Father, we thank you for people like Paul who was uh, willing to give up his life to carry the message of Jesus. And Father, we thank you so much for Jesus because he's the one who saves us. He's the one who, who turns our lives around. And we thank you so much for that. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we sin. Uh, bless us. Bless David. Bless, uh, bless Lauren and his marriage and their household. We thank you for Jesus. All together we say amen. Now give David a hand. You know, that's what it's about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. As David said, there's, there's nothing else. Nothing else matters. If you don't know Jesus, you can today. It starts by confessing that Jesus is Lord, being baptized into his name, and having your sins washed away. If we can help you with that, if we can pray for you, if we can assist you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing? Just.